and welcome to K-Talks. First of all, a big thank you for staying with us on this journey where we talk to our friends, entrepreneurs, innovators, and business leaders. As we move away from the summer break and continue to adapt to the new normal, we promise to bring exciting guests and more engaging topics. Today, I'm speaking with Simone van Nerven. Simone is the founder of Rebella, a company focused on supporting innovation and building strong and engaged teams. With background in mathematics and passion for working with people, she grew professionally by connecting different and sometimes contrasting skills and ideas towards something that creates new value. Most recently, she was heading innovation at Vueling Airlines, which is the largest Spanish airline, and Chanel, the famous fashion brand. We are talking about innovation and motivation and what lies at the cross-section of the two. We try to figure out how much of the innovation comes down to structured effort and how much of it is alchemy. Simone, welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for taking the time. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Simone, this, this episode is going to be about innovation. It is going to be about managing teams. It is going to be everything in between. And in our preparation, I see and I think it would be fair to say that there is a lot on the intersection of team and innovation. But before we jump into the conversation, can you say a few words about yourself and what, what is it that you do? Yeah, um, I, uh, I always say I studied mathematics, but I'm passionate about people. So I was very much in doubt to study psychology or mathematics. Um, after university, I ended up in corporate life uh, and spent about well, 17 or 18 years in corporate life, uh, most of that at KLM, Royal Dutch Airlines. And I had several roles uh, at KLM. And I think the interesting thing that always happened is I managed sort of my job and then I got bored and then I started to do things on the side. And this way I created my own job four or five times. So quite entrepreneurial actually. Um, however, I did not realize, and, um, about two and a half years ago, I had different roles. So I, I managed teams of 250, uh, uh, yeah, 250, hundred mechanics. And so quite different roles at KLM. Uh, my last job was very much into listening to employees and, uh, listen to their uh, ideas and helping, uh, helping them uh, to implement those ideas. Uh, and then uh, it started to, I felt it became time uh, to start my own company. So I quit my, uh, my job two and a half years ago. I founded my company, which is called Rebella. And from this company, I help uh, companies or organizations uh, in the field of innovation. And for me, innovation is a very broad topic, but we're going to discuss a lot about that. And so I also have different kinds of services from mentoring people to just inspiring people, challenge people's thinking uh, to like uh, I've been in Barcelona uh, taking up a two-year role of head of innovation uh, uh, for Voiling Airlines. So it's, it's very different, uh, different things. Um, and that's where I am right now. 
You know, on the face of it, if you take it for face value, one should see a huge gap between being focused on mathematics and in general sciences and working with with people. I don't think that's necessarily such a, a big gap but what is it what, what do you think about it how how did you uh you know how did you evolve or how did you uh, go from uh, mathematics and something that is so exact and um data driven in a way into something that uh in many ways has a lot of fluidity a lot of uh you know psychology emotions so how do you go from so rational to so in a way irrational or, or emotional uh so early in your career yeah it's interesting to say because i i think i i'm passionate about both sides i always have been that this is also why i was very much in doubt whether to study psychology or mathematics actually i'm happy that i chose mathematics because that has learned me uh, not to be afraid of complex stuff, uh, there, and and there's always a solution. If the first try does is not working, then try a second time and a third time, and this is this is what innovation is all about, right? You experiment, you learn along the way, and you grow. Um, early on in my career, actually, I did my thesis in a Dutch company and a company that where they built trucks. Um, and that, that was a Dutch company, but it was just taken over by an American company. And that uh, had a huge impact on the people. Um, so even though I was studying something uh, mathematical about uh, engines, truck engines, um, uh, I also became sort of a coach for, for 10 people who were put in a new role and they were a little bit desperate. So for me, that has shown me very early on in my career uh, how important the people side of organizations uh, is and also uh, the importance of of leadership and the difference between good and bad leadership. Um, So I think that is also what really triggered me to know that every time, every job I have, it's not only about content, but it's very much about people. And, and to me, I think organizations are about people. They are built by people. They are run by people. So, um, yeah. Yeah. As, uh, as we are now on the question of opposites, so mathematics and HR or coaching and innovation, uh, maybe, maybe we can uh, build into this discussion one more layer of opposites. So... Uh, how do you perceive work in a major corporation, a large corporation with many people with uh, set hierarchical structures and, and so on, compared to working in small companies that are startups, uh, innovation-driven, technology-driven, and, and so on? How do you see those differences, those opposites working yeah. together? Uh, I think one of the, the biggest struggles of startups is they're always trying to find money. So they spend a lot of time on, on, on resources. Uh, and in corporates, even though it's not always easy to get budget or to get money, the stress for that is, is, is much less. Um, there is a, a, another, the, the other side is that in corporate, it's just uh, much slower. Uh, I think a lot of people want to be either involved in the decision-making uh, they sometimes feel threatened because uh, well, I have a nice example of that. Uh, 
<laughs> um, maybe it's funny. I was working at Boiling and we uh, asked students to, to think about new solutions. And one group of students came with the solution uh, to stop traveling with luggage, not hand luggage, but uh, car uh, hold luggage. Um, and then at destination, there was your luggage. So you could uh, use a service where, you, where a package of clothing uh, locally uh, was there. So they, we asked them, come over and pitch it to dwelling colleagues. And there was one guy and he was really, really uh, asking hard questions. And I was like, come on, give these students a break. And then afterwards, I learned that this guy was actually uh, responsible for all the revenues that Broiling got for the for the luggage, right? So, mm -hmm. so he saw that his job was um, being uh, eliminated by this service, uh, and uh, and then I said to him, "But then your new job will be to manage this new service, right?" And that he really had to re to reframe his thinking. Uh, but but you see, in in corporates, you have this kind of resistance uh, a lot. Um, not everybody is always very open-minded to new things, to new technologies, uh, to changing uh, the way you work. Uh, I think in startups, people are much more uh, more agile and they can adjust easily, more easily. Um, so I think these are the main differences. Yeah. Yeah, I think you, you raised a very valid point and I think it's very difficult to get that message across and for many, uh, for many people, differences between major companies, large corporates and startups is, yes, of course, about the money, uh, about the structures, about the management focus and so on. But for the most part, it is how clear the vision of the company is to the employees and, and what is the distance, I would say, between the company's vision and, and its employees. And that distance can sometimes be very long. Uh, sometimes, as, as you said, if somebody is managing uh, baggage with uh, welling, they are worried about their job. They're worried about baggage. They're not focused on providing the best possible service to, to passengers. Yeah. Uh, if you are a startup, then you have to find your passenger. You have to yeah. find the second one and the third one. And, and the entire company is completely obsessed with how that customer is valuing the entire experience, how well they're being treated, how uh, well their needs are being met with that company and so on. So any company that is able uh, to remove that distance and to eliminate that gap between the vision and what the company is really trying to achieve with its customers. And this kind of inherent uh, conflict of interest that emerges when a large corporation creates its uh, sections, departments, uh, directors, CXOs, and so on. I think that that is probably the, the biggest difference that I've perceived. Uh, and I worked with, uh, I have actually haven't worked with a startup, but I've uh, yeah. helped so many startups. So... I, I see this uh, this sort of a difference playing out in in so many ways, and and thank you so much for for being very kind of very clear about it with your with your example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I also so when I uh, um, when I work with people or when I build teams, sometimes uh, my job is to to start innovation and, and build a team. Um, 
the people I hire, I look at their mindset. So I, I don't know if you're familiar with fixed and growth mindset. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. uh, it's a concept from Carol Dweck. And I, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of this. So I look, I hire based on mindsets because the people with a, a growth mindset, they are eager to learn. They are flexible. So they, they're, they're not offended if you give feedback. They're actually like that because that is a way to, to learn. And most importantly, I think, is they also celebrate when someone else in the team is successful, right? There is no, um, how do you say, there is, there is competition, but it's not in a, in the, uh, in a wrong way. It's, in a, it's a way to stimulate each other. And um, I have had teams where, pe- where people had fixed mindsets, uh, and then I let those people go because they have such a big impact on the performance of a team. Um, yeah, that it that it's uh, that it's not uh, helping your team to be successful. The reason why I also say this is I think I talk now about teams, but I think companies should think about this as a whole company, right? That you look at mindsets, but also that people within organizations when they assess uh, whether someone is doing a right job or not that they're not only looking at the results they're producing but also how how did they get those results and are they collaborative or not Um, yeah right i I just uh, you know it it came to my mind that while i understand this i think it will be useful uh if you if we spend some time and and i would welcome you to give a few pointers on what the fixed and what the growth mindset is i think it will be useful for the listeners who haven't come across this concept i know a a super nice experiment and it's i think it's sort of related to, to it um there, there has been an experiment where they wanted to see if they could create a, or a, a super chicken. Mm-hmm. And chickens are very easy to measure whether they are productive or not because you can count the number of eggs they lay. So what they did was they had a, a flock of chicken. So they, they got the most productive chicken out of that. So they created a subgroup of that. And they had like a reference group. So a, a group of chicken with average production. And they let those chicken uh, just do their thing. And then after uh, five or six generations, they went back to see what happened. So the super ch- did the group of super chicken actually became more and more productive? And what happened with the reference group? So they went to the first to the reference group and the, the chicken there were like uh, nice and happy and, and their productivity had gone up a little bit. And then they went to the, to the to the the group of the super chicken and there was just two or three still alive the rest was all killed Uh, so they killed each other so what happened is they were so productive because they did that at the cost of others Mm. Um, well in the end with a dramatic result right so i like this this is for me a nice example of if you go for uh, people with a very big ego and for me, much more fixed mindset. They might be individually look good from the outside, but they're not team players, and they 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 make sure that your team will be destroyed. So um, I always think about the super chicken. Um, and um, for me, uh, the result is a, a uh, or or products or services that are being developed are the result are an outcome of the process on how to get there. And if you have people who are 
not good in collaborating or not good in having an open mindset, listen to new or other perspectives and are respectful to that, um, then it will hold back um, new ideas, new developments. And, and I think um, if you don't look at all the perspectives, you will never be able to bring a good service to your customers. So, yeah, maybe there right. are some aspects that you want to deep dive into more, but... Uh, uh, I, I would like to deep, uh, deep dive into the uh, your position at Welling, for example, or or any other position that you think is useful in uh, in terms of your experience to build a team that is focused on innovation. Because I yeah. think you know being in a position to create a team, to handpick a team, is probably different than uh, getting a legacy team and then uh, working with it. But I think both of those experiences are kind of very useful in that you need to bring your own kind of set of ideas, knowledge and experience in order to build something that has a very clear output. So, yeah. uh, you know, going from this abstract notion, I think we will go deeper into the specifics. Yeah. How, yeah. how was that? Yeah, so so when I was uh, asked to help Welling, uh, uh, I was sort of like an, uh, in an odd interim position for the head of innovation for two years. Um, I had a little bit of a legacy. Uh, so there was already a small innovation team. Uh, I think there were like five, four or five guys, Spanish IT background. So, and there was I like, hi. Uh, so I, I, I knew I had to change something in the diversity of my team. And, and when I talk about diversity, it's not uh, about men, women, the gender thing. I actually hate discussions about that. For me, it's much more about diverse thinking. Um, and diverse thinking comes often from if you mix uh, nationalities, ages, gender, uh, sexual preferences, and all kinds of stuff. Uh, so I, I knew I had to change something. So the first thing I, I did is uh, I actually hired a woman, but also with a different background. So uh, she was a service designer. And I don't know if you know what service design is, but um, they go out and observe what customers really do. So uh, she went to the airport and then sometimes she just followed our passengers. Uh, just to observe where the problems were. Um, because if you ask people, they say something else than if you see behave. So, so they, they are really in touch with, uh, with your customer. Uh, not only your external customers, it's sometimes also uh, colleagues, right, at the office, if, if we make products or services for our colleagues. So I started to hire her. Uh, she was Spanish, but she had lived in different countries all over the world. So she already brought in some other diversity. And then uh, the second uh, female came and the third. So um, both also service designers. Then I hired an English guy because I, I didn't speak any Spanish. And it was good that uh, he didn't he, uh, also didn't speak Spanish so that English really became started to become sort of the native language of everyone. Not native, but uh, the speaking language. Uh, in the beginning, they hated this, <laughs> uh, but uh, afterwards they said, it's actually really nice because my English is improving a lot. Uh, and if it's not your mother language, you also have to, sometimes you, uh, uh, 
use easier words to explain yourself, which can be helpful also that you don't become too mm -hmm. fluffy. Um, so, so the mix in my team was then techno technology driven, IT technology. I had service designers who could cover like the human aspect. Because for me, innovation is, is, is covering technology and human uh, together. It's like a marriage. And then the third thing, what I think is very important to have in an innovation team is people who understand business. So they, because you have to create landing spots. Uh, an innovation team is nice to create all kind of cool stuff, but in the end, you want to have it deployed, right? Um, and if you want to have it deployed, you need to have someone in the business who believes in it and who says, hey, I will become the owner or responsible for this. Uh, so we also needed people in the team who were able to talk the language of the, of the business. So I think when you are in an innovation team, these three aspects, IT technology, human and business are, uh, are a magical mix uh, uh, to have in your team. Um, and um maybe also something to cover is um we were not only we were working in three horizons at the same time so uh when you yeah, do maybe yeah, yeah maybe you can spend some time explaining what the what the horizons are and yeah. what, what what this concept actually means yeah when when people ask me about what is innovation to you what does it mean it there are so many different um uh, definitions out of that for me innovation is having your feet on the ground uh, and having your head in the clouds and keeping your feet on the ground at the same time right so so you are grounded but you also look at the future and a practical way to do that is uh, with the three horizons it's originally from mckinsey and it says that horizon one is more like the here and the now. It's close to your core. Uh, and it's more like improving the current things you do, your current processes. Horizon two is a little, yeah, it's what happens in two to five years. Um, and for me, horizon three is the, the crazy stuff out there. And so what happens in 10 years from now and much further away from your core. Uh, and what I did is I made a matrix from that. So I had the three horizons. And then I said, what are the main business pillars of the company? For, for in, this, in this case, it was Voiling. And I said, okay, we, we, uh, uh, one of the main pillars was customer focus. And then there was uh, operational excellence. Um, yeah. now, so um, you have the, these, these uh, three horizons. And then we have these five uh, pillars. And then you start to create a matrix, right? And I could plot my initiatives on this, on this matrix. So I could say, uh, I'm working on trying to invest, which is a true story, working on trying to invest in virtual conferencing. <laughs> uh, this was maybe Horizon 2, 3 uh, back then. Um, and it was about uh, a customer experience uh, and new business. Right? So a little bit in that. So I could plot this initiative uh, on that matrix. Um, making it visual helped a lot the rest of the company to understand why are they working on specific topics and in what kind of time frame uh, is that. Uh, it was a good way to communicate, but it was also a way to manage my team. Because I think if you work too much in the future, you're going to be the crazy team and nothing comes specifically comes out of that but if you work only in in the in the in the here and the now in the today 
then you're just a problem-solving team and you're not working on the future. So you have to bridge the future and the now. And this was a very helpful tool uh, to do that. Right. Um, just to give you uh, maybe my example and to, to everybody listening, um, normally people give bad rep to uh, so-called quick wins. You know, they, they seem like something that is cheating in a way, that is uh, uh, trying to kind of lift you up, build up your reputation and uh, uh, give you a lot of uh, kind of experience of winning and achieving without really doing much. But I think quick wins are one of the fairest and one of the easiest way for any startups, any company to actually thrive, to change direction, to uh, bring about any sort of change, any sort of uh, uh, novelty in, in its doing business, because it is giving a lot of uh, kind of applause to everybody working on that team. It is showing that team can actually achieve something that is tangible in a, in a short term. And it is giving a boost to everybody, you know, to do the next big thing that is then medium sized and, and, and then, you know, a big thing. So I, I really like, uh, I like what you were saying about this and maybe can you, can you expand on this? Is, is, is it, why is it so that people give bad reputation to, things like quick winning because it, it can be so so useful yeah. and productive to teams and team culture. Yeah, and, and I'm totally on the same page uh, as you are on this. Um, for me, as an, uh, uh, when I was running an innovation team, quick wins also, um, uh, I gained a lot of trust from the company by solving things quickly for them. And then uh, they were more like, hey, this innovation team is not that crazy after all, and maybe I can listen also to the other stuff they have. Uh, another anecdote I have is also, it's, it's my last uh, job at KLM before I quit. Um, I was in a free role for the CEO of KLM. Uh, he's, he's still the current CEO. Um, he was just appointed and then he opened an email address, which was called CEO at KLM.com. And he said to every employee, if you have an idea, just send it to this email address. And then he was like, oh, but I don't have anything in the bag. Uh, so I sent him an email address. I said, free me up. I'm going to help you. So he, so he did. So I had a very free role. And what happened is a lot of people started to, to email uh, small ideas, right? So like quick wins. Uh, and my, the only thing I did was I replied. I said, okay, this sounds interesting. Let's have coffee. And then uh, I visit them on the place uh, or, or their workspace. Uh, and then, okay, let's, let's talk. And then, okay, how can we do this together? So we started to work on ideas together. And within uh, 18 months, uh, we were able to save uh, 15 million euros. So one, five million with very small, quick wins, ideas. And I had a lot of conversations about this with the CEO. And he said, the money is nice, right? Uh, but I find it much more important to, to see that bottom-up innovation going, right? Because people started to get that can-do mentality, right? Hey, if this is possible, maybe this can happen. Um, and it also was a very big boost in the morale of people. Uh, I have an idea. Someone is listening. Uh, I'm working on myself and I saved like 50,000 50, euros for KLF. Wow, that's cool, right? So and for me... Innovation is all about 
it, it's innovation goes together with motivation of people, right? If people are passionate, if they are engaged, they are much more open to bring ideas and, and yeah. So for me, quick wins are super important. Yeah. Yeah, I think this this point is is very valid and very important. Uh, many people speak about uh, money maybe being one of the key drivers of uh, people deciding on what jobs to take and and what to do actually. But it seems that more and more research is emerging, suggesting that it is actually the impact that they are having on the outside world, on the company that they're in, uh, on the relationships that they have with their colleagues and any sort of, you know, the ability to make the impact and to bring about any change in the world is actually much more important. And, you know, there are probably many, many stories in the Silicon Valley and and other places where people have stayed on with, uh, with with the company they believed in. Uh, and they believed in the company because they believed that within that company they will be able to change the world. They will yeah. build the, you know, the first iPhone or the next iPhone or the next big thing. Yeah. And that that is actually a, a huge mo- motivator. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. One of the maybe I I have an example of that because yeah. at, when I was at KLM and I was doing this, there was discussions about should we should we pay people a small amount of money for their idea. And I said, no, I, I don't know. Uh, I said, I, I have another concept or another idea. So why don't we start organizing breakfast sessions with the CEO? So every month I organized a breakfast session with, and I uh, had six or seven people from the company uh, uh, together with the CEO. So the CEO actually loved this because it was just one hour for him. And he could hear the real stories that were going on in his company. It was a very nice way of recognizing people because it's all i think it's also a a lot about for people to be to be seen right to be recognized to be valued um and it was for them it was it was such a big gift or present and they still people still talk about that Mm. um so um i'm a strong believer in that you it's like a normal way of how do you deal with people right you're just respectful to each other and uh, open to what they can bring there is so much hidden talent often in organizations um i also think that burnouts are related to this right so people are super engaged they are not being recognized and then they just tune out or something like that there is not all the burnouts right but i think a lot of this is is related to to this what we're talking about I would actually like to get back to this issue further on, but I wanted to tackle the kind of the major topic of this discussion. So let's change gears a little bit and and move into the topic of innovation. And what what I would like to start with is that for many, innovation is seen as part of creativity, part of creative processes. for many people, that means uh, thinking outside the box and, you know, similar phrases. But, you know, it is also true that for so many people, their entire education had been spent on thinking within the box and thinking yeah. inside the box and being just uh, taught to live in 
sort of a fixed mindset, or even if it's a growth mindset, then it's still within some sort of a, a reference frame. Uh, how how do you perceive innovation, and maybe even more important than that, how do you manage info, uh, innovation in a company? Yeah, that's two big, big, big questions, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there are studies that you are most creative when you're like four, five, six years old and the least when you're 45, right? So then you're in really in your... Um, no, I, I, I have a lot of... I do a lot of thinking about the schooling system because it, I don't think it's helping our future generations to get ready for the future. Uh, you learn things that um, you have to unlearn later on, right? I think, um, well, so, but, but we can have a whole different podcast than that. Mm -hmm. uh, how I try to inspire people um, is during COVID, uh, maybe a small concept or uh, one of my clients, um, they were struggling with all the working at home. So I said, I, I, the, the crisis is also a time where a lot of creativity thrives, right? So a lot of innovations happen because of the, all the big changes. So what I did was every week I had a 20-minute call and then I shared innovation from all over the world, not specifically in their industry, but everything. And people gave me feedback. We, we, we started with three. It was an experiment. Uh, and they really liked it so much that we continued until uh, 10. Uh, and people said, this is actually the thing I look forward to in the, in the whole week. It's, it's listening. It's seeing like AI is being used to detect uh, the... the um, um, uh, to detect uh, the, the the virus and uh, every it, it was and how companies are responding and it was just a way for them to 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 open up their minds um, without having the pressure that something had to come out of that after the call. So it was also and, and I'm a strong believer in in serendipity that if you listen and if you're open and you see se several kind of things that maybe one day you wake up or you take a shower and then you're like hey I have the solution and because maybe you saw something else. So, so I'm a strong believer in that if you are in the field of innovation, you have to organize for inspiration. And this is a way to do it offline, but online, but you have many ways to do that uh, uh, offline. Uh, also a believer that sometimes you just need random conversations or random meetups to make things happen. So I think this is also what we learned from COVID, right? Everybody is isolated at home. Uh, is good for maybe some part of the work, but for for innovation and, and that creativity and getting those minds open, uh, it's not the best uh, way. So, so for me, that is a very big, important uh, step. Talking about inside the box and outside the box, uh, uh, sometimes you get really creative by having to stay inside the box. And what I mean by that is, uh, if you have unlimited means or resources, uh, that not necessarily makes you very creative. Sometimes you get really creative if you have if you're really restricted, because then uh, I, I have uh, some examples of that. But um, people have to really reframe what is going on. So what are the things that are holding you back, and then say, hey, are they really holding us back? And then reframe. So I think it's also a balance between 
sometimes putting people in a box, a very strict box. Um, yeah, and then and then the, the the main question: How do you structure innovation? Well, maybe maybe before we jump into that, yeah. just to give you uh, a, a little bit of background, um, a few episodes ago, we ha- I had an interview with uh, one of the authors of what will probably become sort of a reference handbook in terms of design thinking. So uh, he he's actually working uh, within a, a major uh, software gaming company in, in Serbia, he and his uh, co-author. So what they did is they essentially uh, wrote a handbook into how the process of design thinking works. And for many, you know, for, for many reasons, I think that the similar design process might work for creative processes as well. So maybe, you know, just to, to give you the, the background that uh, some of the listeners are already into the idea that, that this process can be structured. But it seems very, you know, on, on the one side, design thinking can be used for so many things. It can yeah. be used for or all sorts of product development, product improvement, life improvement even. Uh, but then innovation is, um, you know, it, it's a big word. And I think so many people imply a very big meaning to it. So when it comes to, I don't know, airlines, it is maybe about electric planes or it is about you know, going into a portal and being, uh, you know, appearing, appearing elsewhere. So I think maybe the first step of this, our journey into how, how innovation work might be to break it down into small steps, similarly to what you, uh, what you mentioned with the, with the horizon thing. So, uh, you know, I, I think for, for horizon one, it seems that design thinking can be used very, very easily. You know what the technologies are available. You know what the problems are if you go into this empathy with your customers, if you follow your customers, as you you said, you you, yeah. you hire a specialist for, for that. You have a good team working on that. So it seems as a low-hanging fruit in, in, in many ways, and it seems something that is sort of easy to, to manage. And then there is all this sorts of, uh, you know, blue sky thinking and and being very, very much, you know, far beyond uh, what the current day and age is, which on the other hand is very difficult to even understand in, in, in many instances. So how do you go about from Horizon 1 into Horizon 2 and even Horizon 3 yeah. in a structured way? Yeah, yeah. So, so what I did, for instance, for Horizon 2, um, uh, again, of, uh, an example of Welling, uh, we created the future airport experience. Mm-hmm. So my team did research on developments in technology developments in human behavior and also uh, market development. And we said, okay, we think that in 2025, uh, this will be the experience when you fly with Welling uh, focused on the airport. Um, And we animated that. And by animating this, uh, and we made the first version. So we had the first version animated of the future. Uh, two-minute video, and we started to show that to colleagues. Um, and they started to understand. And, and we used a lot of well, design thinking principles for, for that too, right? Um, and we, we showed it to colleagues, and then colleagues are like, oh, 
oh, this is actually not that science fiction uh, after all. Uh, some, some things we like, no, but this is not possible or this is not what we want. So uh, it gave us a way to, to get feedback. It gave us a way to create buy-in. Uh, but it also showed that we were, for instance, uh, experimenting with facial recognition for boarding. Uh, the reason why we did that is that we, this is a big part of our vision in 2025. So even though we are experimenting today, we are already working on the future. And it might also even solve a problem that we have today. So a Horizon 1 problem. So this is how we connected Horizon 1 and Horizon uh, 2 in a, in a very practical way. Mm. And, and I, I, myself, I'm a very visu visual, uh, visual person. I think 75% of the people is very visual. So by animating that, it really pushed my team also to, to stop talking about it. Because if you talk, we can have a conversation and we think we talk about the same, but it can be completely mm. different. But by visualizing it, you make it very uh, practical too. So, and then about Horizon 3, which is a whole different ballgame. You say for airlines, it's about maybe electrical planes. I think it goes even further. I think what, for Horizon 3, you need to ask the question is, what are we here for? So is, is an airline here to transport people? Or is an airline here to bring experiences? And if you are into the field of experiences, well, well, that might be virtual reality, might be also part of your core. Mm. And, and so, so first you really have to, to start challenging yourself. What, what are we here for on this world? Mm -hmm. And then you can start to explore what kind of options are there. And then in the end, I think you have to do some reality check on, on uh, do we really want to go this far? Uh, how far is this technology already developed? So people always, well, a lot of people are always very positive about technology, but most of the time the technology is not that good, still not that good, right? So if you look at AI, everybody's talking about AI. I have many friends who are running AI startups and it's not easy at all. Mm. Um, so then you also can do some kind of reality check, like, hey, do we want to invest in this? Which kind of course do we want? But these are very, I think, very strategic discussions that you should dis uh, discuss on board level. And you should not bother like the whole company with, wait, are we going into hyperloops or are we going into virtual traveling? So, mm. so you can bring in a little bit of uh, structure. And I, I think design thinking, I, I prefer to talk about service design or human-centered design. It also has concepts like future thinking. So there are some, some processes that can help you to think about uh, these kind of future scenarios. Yeah. And if we move away from the airline industry and maybe into uh, fashion industry, yeah. how, how, how does it look like uh, with your experiences with, with Chanel? I, I would really like to learn what about, you know, what, what kind of innovation driven thinking and, um, you know, innovation actually exists within, within the fashion industry. Yeah. So, so, um, for generally for the uh, for the fashion industry um when the covid crisis hit and everybody had to be uh, was locked down this also meant that the fashion shows were not able to run anymore um 
And so they had to find solutions for that. And you saw them all divert into, not all, but some of them really divert into virtual fashion shows. Sometimes uh, you saw that they had a location where they still had models, but with a green background. And then it looked sort of virtual with, with no audience. But but others really went into, okay, no people anymore. And we are going to create avatars. Mm-hmm. And we show digital fashion. Uh, I know a friend of mine is is running a startup in digital fashion. He, he doesn't have a... Uh, a dress that you can touch, but it's for your avatar. And you sold it for $10,000, right? Okay. There's a whole market out there. So wow. um, so this is also where fashion is heading towards. And, and fashion industries, same as airline industry, are, are quite polluting. Huh? So it, they're uh, not the best ones for the environment. So I think this is also uh, uh, yeah, where the future will head to, towards. Yeah. Right. One of the, the things, yeah. Maybe for the for the last part of uh, of this conversation, and it's it's really you know forty five minutes have really flown flown by. I wanted to touch upon uh, the issue that is at the cross section of team engagement, team creation, team motivation, and innovation. Um, one of the problems that that I think many industries are right now being faced with is. Uh, everything is becoming digital. So all of our industries, whether we want it or not, are, have their digital component. And that means that many conventional industries uh, still have to be focused on their core business, which is really important so that they are focused on their clients, on serving their clients' needs. But at the same time, they need to invest energy, money, time into all of these digital innovation uh, segments of their business. And for those who are well advanced into these issues, and these are primarily software companies and many companies that have invested uh, many years and many millions of of whatever currency into this, I think they, they are already being very attractive employer for their uh, employees focusing on on digital issues. But some of those more conventional companies seem to still struggle with finding the people, motivating the people, because the IT experts, the service experts, the business analysts, they all want to work for Apple. Let's let's put them uh, up up high on uh, on the pedestal. So how... How does a company that still needs to be focused on their core business and or on, on their customers still attract talent into this tech segment of their yeah. business? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, I also think there are some shifts are going on because it used to be super sexy to work for Uber or Facebook or Booking.com, but those companies are under a lot of pressure right now. So I don't know, for instance, Booking.com is based here in Holland. And I don't know if you've seen what happened, is they made like billions of dollars profits or revenues the past years. They're struggling right now. They got quite a lot of funding from the Dutch government. And then they announced, we're going we're gonna to kick out 25% of our employees. And I think in Holland now, there is a, a big discussion on the ethics uh, from that, right? 
So is it okay to make so much money? You you all, uh, uh, how do you say it? You make your shareholders really happy with that. Uh, and then when the going gets tough, immediately you, you're, you're not taking care of your employees. Um, I think Facebook, Uber, they're also struggling a lot. So I think the, the tech companies might be attractive, but they have like an ethics kind of discussion going on. So, so and, I, I, and I think that hits like um, what I think super important for every company to survive is how do you treat your people? And whether you're like more an old-fashioned kind of company or uh, this kind of tech company, I think it all comes down to this. And social media helps a lot to create transparency about how companies are really, how companies are re- really are, right? Um, it's, it's um, I think the more traditional companies are also struggling a, li- a little bit with how to show themselves to the world. So, so this week I started with a new uh, assignment. It's not an airline, it's not a fashion, uh, but it's in construction. So a company where they build roads and bridges and hardcore. So yeah, they do have digital, but their product is not digital, right? Um, they also have concerns about how do we attract uh, good people? And I was walking around uh, their construction site yesterday and I said, but you do really cool stuff. You should show that to the world. Yeah, yeah. And they're a little bit like humble. And I I think, Mm. well, I think one of the parts is also to uh, a lot of cool stuff is happening in those more, maybe more traditional companies. Mm. If you show, if you show what they are doing, uh, if you, they are also very much focused on the transition of the world, right? The energy trendi- transition that is going on, that is impacting their business. So they're really, their social responsibility uh, high on, on the agenda. I think mm-hmm. that also attracts a lot of talent. And if you can tap into that, like that, if you give the people the opportunity to, to, to work on the future, um, that will help a lot. And with uh, And for me, Talking from innovation perspective, there is a lot to innovate. And if you do that in a way where you do that together with your employees, uh, they feel engaged and they feel proud. They're going to share that and then it shows. So, yeah. I think this is a a great message to to end the conversation. Uh, Thank you so much for, for this wonderful discussion. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great to talk with you.